What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. One of Betty's dishes I've uh, found out was mayonnaise bread. Can you oh, please yeah. tell me what <laughs> is mayonnaise bread? You've totally done your homework. That's amazing. Enchanté. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about delicious French food and the people that love it, cook it, produce it, talk, write and photograph it. All the leaves are brown and the skies are grey at the moment, but when you've been for a walk in markets in autumn here in France, you can't help but think with your stomach. Autumn brings on a harvest of so much abundance that no other months can match it. Think last of the summer harvest along with all those fabulous things that were growing throughout the summer to be ready in the autumn months. Oh, and don't forget the meat, fish, cheeses, nuts and so much else. Today on Fabulously Delicious, we are in need of guidance through what is the best Alp autumn time. So I've asked someone that is a lover of French markets and their abundance, partly because she gets to experience them in person, but also partly because, like my husband, Amy has a French husband that cooks delicious food for her. Amy loved his cooking so much, she married him. Sounds a bit familiar. Amy Fieser, thank you for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Amy, I want to get our audience to know you a little bit better. So before we start talking about the bounty that is autumn produce in France, you were born in New Jersey in the States, but you grew up in the South. Is that right? Yeah, I did. My parents were only in New Jersey for like, I think a couple years and it just happened to coincide with my birth. And uh, my parents are originally from North Carolina. So my dad was, you know, just busy climbing up the corporate ladder and uh, he was working with uh, the bell, the telephone company at the time. And uh, we ended up, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, down South and then uh, high school in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And then as soon as I graduated from there, uh, my parents moved back, kind of came full circle, moved back to Charlotte, North Carolina, which is the area they're from. But in the meantime, I went to school, uh, college in Virginia, just north of North Carolina, and then grad school in Austin, Texas. So I really have like this, like all over the South sort of uh, background, in fact. Well, I mean, excluding food, because we'll get into that soon, what's like life in the South of uh, America? Because we see, you know, we we don't get the best representation, I don't think. You know, um, I grew up at a time, I'm really, really grateful for having a background in the South. Um, It's, you know, it's one of our old, our country's older regions. Um, We certainly have a famous civil war. Um, that at least famous to us, um, that we fought and, um, you know, Southerners are, are, are often, you know, we have our particular accent. You can't hear it much with me. It, it, I sort of lost mine a bit. I, it, it comes back when I'm home, but, um, you know, Southerners are, are independent people. They're very friendly people. Um, they're do- they're, it, it, you know, they ha- there's a section called the Bible Belt. It tends to be um, more Christian um, and sometimes evangelical. Um, but it's, you know, it, it is a very um, warm and friendly place. Um, I, 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 I left it, you know, I didn't say this, but I ended up living in, in New York for 16 years before I ended up back here. But I, um, I'm just... You know, I don't want to. There are a million stereotypes that you could uh, throw out about the South, um, and you've probably seen them in movies. But um, I, I wish that we, I wish there was a focus a little bit more on the positives of it. 
Um, I, the, the, I love the people that I grew up with. Um, my family is a great bunch of people. Um, and I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a region that's really, um, defensive of its, of its, of its history, both the good and the bad. Um, and, um, and has a certain sense of pride and, and, um, it's, I, I'm, 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 it's, oh, pardon. I, I don't, it, I've never been asked this question. And, and again, I'm, I'm very, I'm proud of it too. Um, I do recognize it's, it's, it's flaws, but, um, I'm, there's just, I, you can't shake that sense of pride of being from a warm group of people, um, who, uh, are very neighborly, very friendly. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of like traditions in the South that may not happen in the rest of the States. And, um, I just, it's, it's, it's a big question, but it's, it's a colorful region that just, um, it's doing its best, I'd say. It seems to be environmentally also a very beautiful region. It looks quite stunning. It's very pretty. Um, when I went to, to college, um, it was up in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, it, there's a lot of like, not like dramatic mountains like we may have out west in the States or that we have, have here in France, but, you know, just beautiful rolling mountains, a lot of hills. Um, the terrain is pretty diverse. You know, we range down from Florida all the way up to Virginia, Maryland. We've got beautiful beaches. North Carolina itself, which is where my family is from, is, absolute, is absolutely gorgeous. It, it's one of these states that just has a lot to offer um, if you're looking, whether you're hiking on um, the west side of the state or if you're at the beach on the eastern coast. So um, there's a, it has a lot to offer. And it's, um, it's, it's a beautiful, I, I definitely recommend it if you ever get over there just to go. And we've got some really historic cities. We've got our Nashvilles. We've got our Atlantas. We've got our New Orleans, which I highly recommend. So um, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's an interesting place that sometimes gets made fun of a little bit too much. Um, and, and has, uh, there are reason, a lot of reasons to be really, for us to be really proud of the South. It's a, I'm, I'm really, really very thankful that I grew up there. People do associate for America, um, California, New York, Chicago, um, Washington, you know, should we all be, if we're traveling to America, should we be going down South? You know, yes, of course. Like there, if, especially if you're a food person, like um, the South has very distinct food offerings. I know we, if we want to talk a little bit about that, but there are some things in the South that you're not going to get done correctly outside of the South, whether it's even my favorite thing to talk about is barbecue. Like, you know, you may be even in the state of North Carolina, you may have one county that's into their vinegar based um, sauce, and then you may go to the next county and they're into mustard based and somebody else is going to go tomato or they're going to do a mix of something. It is, it is, it is really fun and really delicious. It's been something i has been fun to kind of introduce my husband to that's there. Um, so you've got a barbecue culture that's really dynamic and fun. Um, and you've got like, we have our standards. There's this, have you ever heard of grits? Yes. Like a, yes. Like I, I grew up eating grits. Um, it's a comfort food to me still. And, and I think there, I, there are a million casseroles, I think, that the, the South has produced. So, yeah, of course, you know, I, I, you know, it's a, it's a more well-rounded trip if you hit the States and you see more than just California and New York. Like, the South has a lot to offer and a lot to, to eat. So I definitely would do a little swing uh, around there going, uh, do your, do your North Carolina, do your, do your Atlanta, come back, go to Nashville and then maybe pop down to new Orleans and then over toward Texas. Texas is not the South. Texas is Texas. 
but you you know you, it's sort of you're sort of transitioning from the south into Texas there. So you got a lot of food to try, and it's a good it's a good time. Um, your parents are still there, right? Why do you think that they have decided to stay there? I you know um, I think for one they had kind of done it all. They have been to several different cities. They sort of got that travel bug out of them. Um, I think my, my, my dad in particular was excited about coming back and being near his, his pa- all their parents were alive at the time when they went back. Um, and, you know, just being, being closer to family again, I think was important. Um, I don't know if, you know, it's an interesting um, thing because both my I have younger brothers and they were much younger when my parents moved them back to North Carolina. So they're all the, the, the rest of my family, my parents and my brothers are really from North Carolina, but I'm sort of like, I stick out like a sore thumb, but you know, I think it's a comfort thing, right? Anytime you want to go back to sort of your home area, it's a comfort thing. Uh, You just want to really like reconnect with your roots. Um, And and they just, they wanted to be closer to family again. And, um, and I think that, I think they're delighted to be back there. And it's an interesting, they're in Charlotte, which is a still quite a growing, yeah, it's a growing city. And um, I think there's a, back to that pride thing. I think there's a sense of pride of being part of a city that's growing and kind of contributing to that and, and watching it uh, change and transform. So they're in a, they're in a cool place. Like it's great. It's really fun to go back to be able to visit them there. And, and kind of see how and watch from afar how that city is changing itself. Via email, you told me as a youngster, you were a little bit of a picky eater, <laughs> which I, I kind of relate to, actually. I wouldn't eat a raw tomato until I was uh, 19. Actually, sort of part of a foodie family. You had a famous uh, foodie in your family. Um, who was that? Now, wait, are you talking, I, I have, a, oh. I have a, a locally famous, my grandmother was locally famous for her buttermint. Oh, okay. No, I wasn't. I was more thinking about you might be cousin, thinking of, let's talk about your, your <laughs> grandmother first. Yeah. Yeah. My grandmother was well known for this um, buttermints that she would make at Christmas time. And it was one of those things where everyone from um, the surrounding area would be coming by her place to buy these mints from her. So she recently passed away and I fortunately was smart enough to um, record and talk to her about how she made those better mints. So I'm hoping that we can kind of try to um, remake them someday, maybe with my husband, who would be better at that stuff than I than I am. But yeah, my grandmother was was quite known. But yeah, I know who you're talking about. I'm talking about Betty. Who's Betty? Betty Feaser. Yeah. So um, Betty Feaser was a TV show hostess in the 50s, 60s, and 70s in Charlotte. They were she her show was actually the very first television show in the world to be recorded in color and played back, which was, she's pre Julia child. Um, This is, I think that happened in 56, if not 57. So she was one of these first food television hosts ever. There were a lot of regional at the time TV show hostesses. It was always women um, that were teaching other homemakers how to make food on TV, on local TV shows. But Betty's, um, she just was very charismatic and beloved and still beloved in Charlotte today. And um, she was on for probably 25, maybe 27 years. She only stopped because she, well, she died of, um, of cancer very suddenly and at a very young age. So she was, she made TV history, but she's been quite forgotten because they, they videotaped over every show. There is hardly any archive of her left. Yeah. 
it's a real shame, but she was, she's a distant, long distance cousin. She, um, you know, my dad and, and her son have the same name. So my dad might get emails, um, from, for her son every once in a while, but yeah, we're, we're very proud of our Betty Feaser. She, you could, at, at many, uh, a yard sale in, in Charlotte, you can often find one of her four cookbooks, if not her autobiography, she had an autobiography and everything. So she is a local star who, who really needs to get more attention because she was one of, she made again, TV history. And she was one of our first TV personalities. Well, before, everyone thinks Julia Child was the first, but that's not the case. It was definitely people like Betty. So what kind of dishes did Betty make? <laughs> wow. Okay. So super, the idea at the time, so this is right, the fifties, and this is the advent of, um, of TV dinners. So Betty was there to make cooking easy for women. So this is not gourmet stuff. This is quick, easy. It's going to be, you know, something you can bake. Sometimes, occasionally, some of her cake recipes would be like, here's your first ingredient, a cake box. Get the mix from the cake, the cake box, and pour it in. So it was all about saving time. There, now there, there are some, you know, there. I'd say her baked goods are a little bit more timeless than some of her, you know, savory uh, dinner pieces, dinner um, recipes. So uh, we've made some of them around here. Um, cookie, the cookies are great. You know, she's got a banana bread. Just it's basics that women could easily make, and she wanted to save women time. So it was, it was really about quick and easy and delicious and kind of fattening at the same time. Um, so it was just anything that, that could be done quickly is really what it was. It was not about amazing taste. It was about do, doing it fast. One of Betty's dishes I've, uh, found out was mayonnaise bread. Can oh, you yeah. please tell me <laughs> what is mayonnaise bread? You've totally done your homework. That's amazing. So she, bless her, like mayonnaise bread is a, um, it, it's a three ingredient bread, I believe. That I can't, mayonnaise is one of the, the main ones that makes up for, gosh, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, there's, I think you put in flour and mayonnaise and something else. Either way, it's a quick bread. It's just an e. It's, it's again, it's solving, it's a shortcut. The mayonnaise becomes a shortcut for a few ingredients that you can kind of whip up this white, kind of dull. It's not an amazing bread, but if you need a quick bread and you're a mom and it's 1957 and your husband's expecting fresh bread to be on the table and you just have, you know, an hour left before he comes home from work, you can throw Betty's mayonnaise bread together. And it's really, it's not, it's not horrible, but it's, you know, it's not going to change your life. It'd probably be great in like, as like the next day in like a French toast kind of situation, but it's fast and it's quick and it's definitely sort of a, um, it's the epitome of kind of a lot of her dishes. It was really about, oh my goodness, side note, my husband just walked in with a plate of, uh, of, of grapes from the market. He just went out to our, anyway, he's distracting me. So, like, oh. <laughs> one, euro. one euro. He got it. One he, euro he, for grapes. He, he, oh. just, he wants to show you, Andrew. You have to see. Hello, Andrew. <laughs> oh, bonjour. Oh, that looks fabulous. One, one, euro, one, for euro. All- one euro for the whole, the whole palette. Yeah, Insane. The, the oh. Betty Caesar may not have used fresh grapes in her, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) According to her bio in one of her books, Betty received a Homemaker of the Year Award, a Woman of the Year in Foods, and a Gas Saleswoman of the Year Award. (laughs) What is a Gas Saleswoman of the Year Award for? I think that was probably about um, sponsors that were sponsoring her television show. 
And, you know, Betty, she, she certainly, you know, that was back in the day. Well, we still have sponsors for television shows now and advertisers, but back then that's when you had real on-air partnerships with, with different, different people. And, and certainly gas was um, a big at that time was uh, across the world for, for TV shows in Britain and even in the UK because you, people were cooking with gas. So that they were kind of they, they were really promoting gas. So so that would have, I'm assuming that is probably because she did a, a good job. She was a good salesperson. That she sold some uh, products or promoted gas cooking to her 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 audience. Right. So she wasn't. I had pictures of her actually at a gas station, um, <laughs> filling up cars for people while think she's so. thinking about no, what dishes no. she's going to make. It's uh, not I think that. it's more cooking gas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Betty sounds fabulous. Um, one of my food icons is the Barefoot Contessa, and I've always uh, dreamt of a life where I'm one of her gays because she always has the gay gay boy at the party, and I've always <laughs> wanted to be one of those. You know, if you're listening, I'd love to come over. But um, I feel like I would have been a, a Betty would have been a food hero of mine around in the 50s, 60s. Yes, of course she would have. Um, You mentioned before that you lived in New York at a time. What was that like? I mean, I've been to New York. I've been lucky enough to go several times. It's such a full-on place. It's amazing. You know, it's it's like it's not like Paris or – I mean, they're all different, Paris, Tokyo, London. They're all different big cities. But New York, it's – Full on. It's the center of the. It's just. It's the center of the universe. I won't lie. Like it was. It, I feel like now that I've. I lived in New York for sixteen years. So now that I lived there, I feel like I can live anywhere. Like I can get through anything. Paris is a, is a you know a cinch uh, after New York for a little. That's not true. There are some difficulties here, obviously, um, but but I can manage them because again, new, living in New York gave me a lot of confidence. Um, and it was a really interesting time. I was there. Um, I moved in 2000. And, um, and so I experienced 9-11 uh, firsthand. I was, uh, I was living across the water at the time and could see it from my room. Um, I, it was, um, I was in magazines at the time and it was sort of the, the, the most celebrated time for, for print magazines when I was there. So that was super exciting. It was, it was, you know, I felt like I got to spend my, my twenties and a lot of my thirties, like, um, in the middle of really cool parties, a lot of cool, influential friends. Um, it was a real gift. It was a great time to be in New York um, I really learned, you, we talked about that I was a picky eater before. Um, in New York, you just, you can't be picky. Like, you, you can be, sure. But I think you're, it's a wasted on you if you are. So I learned, to. I think the, the, the most, int- the first thing I probably learned to eat there was sushi. And, and then from there, it just, it just kept on going. And, and we kept getting, you know, that's sort of the rise of chefs as celebrities, chefs as, as names. And, um, you know, we all sort of, all my friends and I were interested in the food scene. So we sort of watched it develop and grow and we would go visit restaurants. And there was a, a really, it was the beginning of a restaurant week in, in um, New York where you could go and genuinely have really good deals and, and try places like 11 Madison Park. I remember I got to try for like a $30 lunch menu at some point. It just was um, an exciting time to be watching the food scene grow. And to, to, to learn about food um, from some of the best chefs in the world. And um, so my, I just, I'm so thankful for my, for my time in New York. I recommend it to everybody. 
I think it's whether it's for a year or for 16, I just think it's um, as, a, as someone like me as a traveler and as someone who likes to experience uh, culture and theater and food and art, like it's, it's all there in one small space and it's all accessible to you. So um, I, I feel, I feel thankful th- again, thankful that I grew up in the South, but also thankful that I had a, a lot of time in New York at the same time. And so what brought you to France? So, you know, I, I said I was in magazines for a long time and I decided um, at one point I was still single. I'd had, you know, series of boyfriends and all that jazz, but I was still single in, in my mid thirties. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to go freelance. Like, wh- what am I doing? And I, again, back to the traveler part of me, I was like, what? I want to go mobile. I want to be a mobile freelancer because I'm a writer. I'm a copywriter and a slash and a writer. Um, of editorial pieces and I've, I've taken a stab at books and I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be moving around that traveler in me is like, okay, I've done New York now. What, what's not, and I'm not attached to anybody or a children or anything. Like I want attached, let's make this a positive thing and let's explore the world. So I had this concept that I was going to be like, I thought, well, I think I'm going to live in the summertime for a full year. I'm going to go to places like every quarter of the year that are only in summertime and just live in the summer because I'm not a big fan of the wintertime. So I, I, I started expressing this, this wish to friends to want to travel and be a more mobile freelancer. And a girlfriend of mine named Nicole said, hey, I have, um, I have to take some photos in, in, in Paris. It was for a, a book, a series of books she has. This one was called uh, Paris in Love. Um, and it was follow up from a book called Paris in color. And she said, we have to, my husband and I have to rent an apartment for three months. We can't live there full time. Do you want to share this apartment with us and come and live in Paris? And I was like, okay, listen, I don't speak French, but why not? Like I've been to Paris before, of course. And, and I thought it's only three months. It's not, it's, it's low commitment. It gives me a sense of what it's like to be working as a mobile freelancer, but also doing it from abroad or doing it, you know, as I explore other cities. So it was more just like a dip my toe in the water and see what it would be like if I, if I took on, if I really committed to being a mobile freelancer. So um, a friend of mine was like, you, I was doing online dating at the time. And a friend of mine was like, you should change your, your profile to Paris and I, your hometown to Paris and your profile. And I was like, no, I don't speak French. Like I can't have a meaningful conversation with anybody if, you know, what, I'm not here, I really wasn't coming to meet a dude. I was here to just um, be creative and be a writer. So um, he, the, the friend finally really convinced me. He's like, that, that's what a missed opportunity. Like you really have to sh- give that a shot. So I went out with a couple of French people and a couple of, of Americans who live there. And I was done. I was like, I checked the box. I made my friend happy. I was like, fine. You don't have to get, get off my back. So um, I was I was traveling to visit a girlfriend who lives in Scotland for a weekend, and I got this um, email from a guy named Pierre, who who was you know writing to me in English, and I thought he might be an American with a um, with like uh, excuse me a, a person a French person with an American parent, and maybe just named his kid Pierre uh, because he's very well written and could I could not hear an accent in the writing. So I was like, okay, fine, fine, one more, one more. He's cute, one more. And um, I realized the morning of our date, which is a, was like a 10, 1030 coffee date at Frenchy to go, which is in the second, um, that he was French. And I was like, shoot, all these Frenchies. Like, I don't know. I was not interested in a Frenchie. And he, uh, he came around the corner on his, on his, he has a million weird, cool kind of bikes. And he came in on his Brompton fold up bike. And uh, he was very cute. And um, we had a like, I don't know, five or six hour date for the first date. And 
you know, two months later, I was really in big trouble. So <laughs> uh, I, we realized that we were in love and, um, and, and, and needed to make it work. So uh, a couple years after that, we, we got paxed, which I know you, you're aware of as a French resident. Um, and then, which is like a civil, civil union. And then uh, I guess a year or two after that, we, we got married. So um, yeah, I accidentally uh, ended up here. I'm not, I wasn't some sort of Francophile. I'm not, not a Francophile, but I wasn't like here to, I hadn't had any sort of indulgent fantasies about moving to France, especially just because I didn't know the language. Um, even though I loved, I loved the idea of it. Um, but it happened, and now I'm here, and I'm, I'm very, I'm very thankful for that too. Like it's another portion of moving that I, uh, it's a, it's a gift. It's a big gift. I'd love to have Pierre on the podcast one day. Yeah. For now, um, I'd like to know, he was the inspiration for your Instagram account, fed yeah. by a Frenchman. How did Pierre change your food life? <laughs> he really changed it so much. Um, and I thought, you know, it's funny, coming from New York, I thought I was such a good eater. I thought I was so good and I knew things and I had gone to all these amazing restaurants and I knew chefs and whatever. But it really changed here. I remember the first meal that he gave me that I was like, Oh man. And it was such a simple dish. It was, it was a breakfast and he gave me, um, it was a, a bowl, not a cup of tea, but a bowl of black tea. And then he gave me a toasted, a piece of toast with amazing butter put on it. And then honey, like a French honey on top. And he's like, Oh yeah, this is what I would eat for breakfast growing up. And he, he's like, just dip it in the tea. And, and that sounds so simple. But it was a combination of beautiful ingredients and a beautiful man serving it to me, let's be honest. But I, I dipped it in and I was like, who is this person? <laughs> like, what is, what is this amazing breakfast and why haven't I had this before? And certainly ingredients play a, a big role here in France. But it was just such a small little thing that um, just caught my attention um, in lots of ways to the point that I always will remember that, that one breakfast that we had that just was just kind of opened my eyes a little bit, but he's, um, he is, he's a home trained cook. His mom was a wonderful cook and she brought him up to cook like a lot of French people are. And, um, and he continued that passion for it as he, after he moved out, moved away from home. And, um, he's just very, I remember one day he was like, Hey, why don't you just go down to the market and just grab whatever and grab whatever you can get for a good deal and then bring it back up. We'll see what we can make out of it, which is not something as a former New Yorker and as a Southerner, I won't lie that I, I do not have this instinctual um, ability to just come up with, um, with, with a dish without a recipe backing me up. Like I've just, and, and it's, I don't know how I, I've, it's interesting. Pierre makes comments sometimes in, in, in maybe, and I don't, I can't represent every American, but I do feel like we are more, um, in my realm, my little world, most of my friends, family, we're more recipe based. We're more likely to use a recipe. Whereas he is more likely to kind of, he's been, he grew up understanding how to intuitively put ingredients together. So I've um, watched him in awe, you know, put, put meals together without even consulting. He'll consult recipes sometimes, but, um, without having to really, um, consult recipes and he, you know, certainly part of our, a lot of our relationship, cause I started an Instagram account about it is, is going to the market and, and experiencing that, that 
delightful day of, of food vendors coming to our neighborhood and bringing us the best food around, the freshest, best, most seasonal ingredients. And, 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 and so while I certainly had an awareness of that in New York, I, um, the, 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 the cost of goods here and the freshness and the emphasis on availability of organic foods has been elevated for me. Like I, I now really feel sincerely that this is really, this is really a basic human right to have these fresh seasonal ingredients at your disposal for a very low cost. Um, and they do with that well here. And that is, while I was aware, again, aware of that in the States, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't as, as, as on my radar as it is here. And um, so certainly he's exposed me to that way of thinking. Um, and it's just been, and, and, and whatever, like, you know, I was always open, especially after my time in New York, open to trying new things, but there have been so many different foods that I've tried here that I wouldn't have had, had access to in the States because maybe they're, they can't import them or, you know, cheeses, for example, there's some they can't import. So it's just been, I never knew, I never assumed that my brain would be broken open even more by moving to France. I don't know why I didn't, but I just didn't. And, and um, New York was a wonderful food experience, but this has taken it to the next level. There's something about living in France and having the availability, it's like you said, mm. um, for everybody of great food. I know that I've been to restaurants, uh, some of the best restaurants in the world I've been very fortunate to go to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can, it sounds strange, but, you know, you go to these restaurants and you get a, a bit of bread and some butter, and it's just amazing. It tastes yes. amazing. And you're thinking, oh, my God, this is the best restaurant in the world. And they've had this, you know, um, it comes to mind, Attica in Melbourne, one of the world's best restaurants, mm. um, and it's certainly one of the best restaurants in Australia. They do, um, at one stage when I went there, they had the um, bread with Vegemite butter. Um, I hate Vegemite. Oh I hate God. it with a vengeance. <laughs> but I tried it, and it really, with the butter, like it was incorporated into the butter, um, put on the table. And of course, I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to be that not. person. That no, you're not. No. Absolutely not. Um, so I tried it and it really was amazing. Mm-hmm. But here in France, it's like yesterday we had friends over for lunch and I stopped eating the cheese and the charcuterie and all of those things because I wanted to make sure that I had some bread left <laughs> to just put on the crystallized butter because <gasps> there it is, just a simple baguette, a bit of baguette, Plus that plus this butter that you get from the the cheesemonger um, at yes. the markets. It's a salted crystallized butter. The best is just the best. Just butter on a bread. So basic, but Who just so perfect. That? No, it's the yeah. it's the best. I totally agree with you. <laughs> You're listening to Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about French food and the wonderful and fabulous people that make it. One of my favourite lines from the TV show that I love is that I sing the theme song, I write the theme song, and I play the theme song. Well, with Fabulous Delicious, I plan, edit, record, produce, and basically do everything at the moment, but I'd love to get to the stage that I can get others to help me. In order to do this, I need your help. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, you can become a Patreon member of Fabulously Delicious and my YouTube channel, Cooking Fabulously. With this support, I'll be able to hire, in the future, editors and producers that will be able to help me bring you even more fabulous content. 
all help is appreciated and in return you get more exclusive and fabulous content from me. Who wouldn't want that? My name's Andrew Pryor and my motto in life is whatever you do, you should do it fabulously. Thanks for listening and let's get back to Amy Fieser and hear all about one of the best times to be at a French market, autumn and its autumn harvest. Getting on to our topic today, the autumn harvest, Um, France markets are fabulous nearly all year round, but one of the most abundant times is autumn. When was the last time you were at the market? I was at the market yesterday. Fabulous. Great. Okay. So in general, what was in abundance? Man, it's just, it's such a great time, like you said, because it's sort of like we're getting the end of summer. But then, you know, the, then the, 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 the things that are exploding in autumn come out too. So it, it really is, I'd say it is one of the best times of year to be, to be at the market. So grape harvest is here. Like we've got our grapes everywhere. Like we said, uh, Pierre just came in, you know, five minutes ago with a whole pallet of grapes that he got for one euro because he went to the end of, end of the market, which is why he, somebody was trying to give it to him so, so they didn't have to either throw it away or pack it back up. Um, grapes are everywhere, and it's also um, apples and pears are just ro- tumbling out of the the stalls. They're completely gorgeous. Um, we saw a lot of figs um, that have been around for a bit, but and I, I'm noticing them in restaurants. They're like a fig tarts everywhere. Like everyone is serving fig tarts. We started seeing mushrooms. Um, are ju- all the different kinds of mushrooms um, have just kind of popped up again nuts we noticed yesterday um fresh walnuts chestnuts um endive which has been which has been i know we have had that in the states but definitely endive has been a new uh uh salad base that we i've been uh, exposed to here that we use a lot of Oh, I can't stand the onion. You can't. I can't get my head around it. I I was so excited last Christmas to make uh, endive gratin to go with uh, Christmas dinner, lunch, and oh, I didn't like it. And it was supposed to be all the good things. You know, it was supposed to have ham and mustard and cheese. Yes. But the endive, it's, I just, I'm not the hugest fan of bitter. It's a divisive vegetable. I totally hear you. I will say, I know what I know what recipe you made. Pierre it's made the Vegemite of vegetables. It's the Vegemite of vegetables. That feels cruel, Andrew. That feels cruel. I don't know if that's fair to endive, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I totally know what you're talking about. That roasted endive with ham. You wrap it in ham and you put some cheese and like a vinaigrette. Oh my god, I love that. I love the Southerner in me. I, I think I'm so proud to say that I love that because the Southerner, the picky Southerner in me, who really just wanted to have fried chicken and, and you know mashed potatoes, is so um, delighted and proud of myself that I'm into into Andive. So those are around. Whether they're you know yellow, sometimes they're pink or red, and they're gorgeous. To some of us, they are a gorgeous. We all we also saw one of my favorites, which is leeks. I think the leeks are kind of like. That is my absolute, that's the cutest thing I've ever seen is a French person walking around a market with a leak in their back, like it's some sort of sword or some sort of yoga mat. It's the sweetest thing to see them walking around with their leaks popping up out of their backs. So we saw saw artichokes, artichokes are about. Oh, yes. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Um, so where is your local market then? Because you're in Paris. I'm in Paris. We are so lucky that we have two that are, are right near us. So there's one near the Alexandre Dumas uh, Metro that's on Saturdays and Wednesdays. So that's the one I went to yesterday. And then we've got one today that where Pierre went to get the grapes. Um, it, it's also on 
Thursdays. That's up just the same distance away. It's uh, Place de la Reunion, which is a very hip and happening, uh, suddenly hip and happening uh, neighborhood area. It's a little bit smaller than the the Alexander Dumas one, but it's um, but we, that's the one. The one that comes out today is where we kind of have gotten to know our vendors because it's because it's smaller and they you know there's just there's uh, fewer people and they, they can recognize us a little bit more. But yeah, we feel, I feel so lucky. I can't believe we have four days of mar- fresh markets around us, in, in addition to the rest of the food that's, that's around. Um, I think the obvious thing to talk about with vegetables when we think of autumn would be pumpkins. Now, before oh, yeah. I moved to the country, I lived in Paris, obviously, as I just said, and heard often that pumpkins were, for, and corn actually, pumpkins and corn were just animal feed. Yes. That the French... We do not eat them. But here in the countryside, the markets are full of pumpkins. Really? Which is fantastic. Is it the same there in Paris or is it not? Are they all just saying, no, we don't? Are they Parisians that we know we do not eat pumpkins? I would say that we are seeing more pumpkins here, but and not a ton. I do think you're right. It's It kind of goes along with corn where it's not something that they want to deal with all the time. But I do... I think it's becoming more widely accepted. You know, it, it kind of, it's in that squat, that winter squash group, right? Like it's sort of like, I, I, I think we've probably had it in this house a couple times where maybe we'll just roast it and then roast the pumpkin seeds. Here we'll make a joke that if there's a jack-o'-lantern, like if I threaten to get a jack-o'-lantern, he, he, he's very angry about the idea of killing, of killing the food. So we've not had a jack-o'-lantern in the house um, since I've been oh, here. I get that. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's, it's a waste of food, but you know. One of the things I have found is this with pumpkins is this wide. Well, do you call them pumpkins or do you call them squash? I call them well. I well, I guess it depends on what are you calling it. Like I call I call a pumpkin like an orange jack o' lantern sort of squishy squat flat, and then I might call a squash something that's a little bit longer and leaner. I don't know why I think that. I'm probably wrong, but that's just in my brain. That's how it. See, I call a pumpkin like you just said, the pumpkin, the typical, the orange one, or the green ones that are orange inside but green on the outside. But then, and then we have button-up pumpkins. But then yeah. that's what people would call a squash. I think. Oh wait, you call it a butternut pumpkin? Sure. You call yeah, it- we call oh, it a butternut pumpkin. So- we just call it butternut squash. Or we well, Americans. There you yeah. Go. It's all yeah. the same. This is butternut. Yeah. Oh, I love butternut squash so much. So good. So, so good. then I'm confused because then you have here in France, you have muscat. Muscat, is that correct? M-U-S-C-A-D-E. I can't pronounce that one. And Potiron. Potiron. Oh, Potiron. Potiron. I, isn't, isn't the there you go. How do you say that again? Because I, I love the way that. you say French with an accent. Oh, that's so funny. Same back at you. Potiron. I'm, I'm not saying it <laughs> right. My French is terrible. Okay. <laughs> I think that's I'm a pumpkin too, mine. but isn't that a pumpkin? Isn't that also Yes, pumpkin? but this is what I'm confused by because I thought it was a pumpkin, but then I went to the markets and saw, and I was hoping you were going to be able to answer that, oh. let me know what it is. But So then I went to the markets and then I saw Potiron and then I saw pumpkins. <gasps> Do you want me to do you want me to phone a friend and just literally ask the Frenchman who is right here or oh, well yes it's a Frenchman's there. Let's Frenchman. find a friend. Let's Hey, what's a pumpkin? What's a poultimoron and what is a pumpkin? Uh we'll translate. He said that's a good one. It's confusing him too. No, it's okay. It's all right, babe. We're fine. We're fine. We're good. We'll talk about it another time. Another time. Another time. Seps are in abundance in an autumn. Um, so mushrooms, uh, for those that don't know, they're a type of mushroom. I'm 
always afraid to use sips Why? because I'm afraid to use anything that doesn't come in a bag, uh, you know, like with the plastic over it, it says Paris mushrooms because I'm worried, I, like I'm terrified that I'm going to poison somebody with some wild mushroom from a forest. Like I how do like, you, do you like sips? Do you I just feel like cook he, them for you? He's, you? He's cooked sips a couple times, I'd say. I feel like mushrooms, they show up around here sometimes. And yeah, I, and I will say, I will say, you're right. The parish mushroom does show up here more often than anything else. And they're and just they're as fabulous. good canned. They're fabulous. And they're just as good canned. I totally hear you. Canned? Although, yes. Oh, my gosh. We we always have canned mushrooms. No, we don't always eat them, but we always have them in the houses in case we need them for something. Oh, like so in case there's a pandemic or something. In case there's a pandemic. In case there's a pandemic. No, just, a, just the, a, the canned mushrooms and the toilet paper. Let's just make sure that we've got those. No, we just we always have them stocked in case you got to throw it in a quiche or something. You just don't have a fresh okay, mushroom yes, around. Yeah, okay, but I've never I had mean, a canned mushroom. I mean, oh, you, that's. I mean, but I mean, I feel like canned food in France is different than canned food in the states. No, absolutely. Um, uh, I love all the canned food that they have here. The good quality ones. You can get amazing. Such good food quality, canned. totally. Yeah. Even yeah, even. Yeah, even soups like it's so for our listeners, we're it's great. Don't worry, we're not we're talking cool. Heinz. Yeah, we're not yeah. talking Heinz. We're talking the good stuff. We're not talking the bottom shelf of the supermarket. No, we're not. We're not. Because <laughs> in Australia, people. of the canned vegetables, the mushrooms are always in the bottom shelf of the <laughs> yeah, supermarket. Poor mushrooms. No. It's such a shame. I know. Well, they need the light. There's no light down there. You see, they're growing in the cans. There's no light. They're they're, na- they're in their natural habitat. But I mean, I guess he uses saps. Um, we, we, you know, most of the time it, I, I kind of, he's nodding at me. I kind of, I kind of think we should be trying more of the mushrooms here. There's such a variety. Um, we, I think that is it the trompette de la mort? Yes. That are so good. And the girolles are good too. So, um, you know, but, but yeah, I think we, we, we kind of stick to basic mushrooms in this house, although I would be fine if we tried more. And I, I just think there's such a good variety down there that we both should be trying more of them and being okay with, we're not going to poison anybody. Like we'll blame it on. Well, you know what we could do? We can buy them from the markets and then take them up to the pharmacy because you know that all the pharmacies (laughs) are supposed to be experts. You're supposed to be able to do this. If you go pick mushrooms in, no, it's a thing. Um, So apparently if you go and pick mushrooms in the forest, you are supposed to then go take them to the pharmacy and they, they will check your mushrooms and make sure that they're all right. That is the most French thing I, I've ever heard. Oh, <laughs> it involves it. food and the famous pharmacies. It, oh my god, that I cannot. That's amazing. And while you're in there, you can get your neurofin. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all good. Mushrooms and neurofin, all in one. It's fantastic. <laughs> Possibly the most important question I'm going to ask you today, Amy, is: uh, Do you eat your Brussels sprouts because they're in abundance? I love Brussels sprouts so much, but my I husband doesn't. My husband well. doesn't. No. And you know who does my favorite recipe? Your girlfriend Ina Garden. She does. The, I love that. She does oh. such a good. I just like them roasted. I like them crispy, a little bit like French fries with like just salt on them, with a little bit of olive oil. Like I am a huge fan of roasted Brussels sprouts. He's not though. It's funny. So anytime we get them, he sort of reluctantly is fine with me, but I think he identifies them as when he was young at school where they would like steam them for the canteen and that, that smell. So he ate them in sort of a yucky, you know, goopy sort of Brussels sprout situation. Whereas I like them crisp and roasted with a little bit of that, that natural stuff, oozing at natural sugar, oozing out of bacon. hundred percent. 
Yeah. Yes. Just to clarify, uh, Ina is uh, not my girlfriend. Just to clarify, because <laughs> I, I don't want Jeffrey to be upset. Um, because I do <laughs> want to be able to come over for chicken dinner with Jeffrey one Friday night. So yeah, Ina, um, I just want to be uh, uh, your cooking assistant uh, who gets to eat at the same table. Um, and of course, because I'm gay, I will look fabulous um, because I'll spend at least a week trying to find an outfit that uh, is worthy of your presence. One of my favourite fruits. In autumn, is uh, pomegranates. Did you notice those, or what fruits? You mentioned figs. What else did you notice? I mean, you know, apples and pears. Um, I do love a, a, pro- a pomegranate situation. I, I feel like I saw them a little bit earlier in the autumn. That doesn't mean they weren't there. I just, you know, they're a little fussy to deal with, right? Like, I hate to say that, and I know, and I like, we've got them. I think at one point we got a free one from somebody. So we just sort of uh, kept the seat, f- took them all, just deseeded it and froze them. And, and now they're in the freezer. So I, I throw them in a, like a, a guacamole anytime I make, I make a guac, I just throw some, some of that in there. So I do quite love it very much, but uh, I, I find them a little bit messy and, and I don't feel that I'm um, skilled enough to, to, to deal with those on a regular basis. I'm sure there are some tricks that I'm missing. Like there are some things that I should probably know. I love just banging a pomegranate over a meal, over a salad. Yeah, you just like oh, crunch nice. it up and then they all fall down. Yeah, drama. It's fantastic. It's yes, kind of it's fun. great. Getting back to the market, they display the price of things here in France at the market, uh, but they also display the country of origin. What's that about? Yeah, I believe it is legally required. And I have, I will say I've seen my husband pass up over fruit that has been, it's like sourced from South America because it's just not good for the environment. Like why do we want bananas from Peru if we can get them from Spain or, or what have you? So there is, it's, it, I, I think it's great. I wish we had that in the States. Um, and and I, I think it's a wonderful way for you to empower you to make a better choice to that that might reflect your your values of being more eco-friendly so yeah we are way more likely to buy to buy fruit and veg that's going to be sourced from europe than it is from across the ocean because it does make it makes a ton of sense like it's 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 just it helps you be a better consumer of things i think it's it's a wonderful it should be everywhere it's a wonderful rule and it lets you know where where things are from like it lets you understand the way the world is working these days and it helps you again it empowers you as a customer to make a better choice I love rules in France. I think they're fabulous. They are good. They're good at rules. Well, and the yeah. best thing about the rules is it gives them something, gives the French people something to protest about. Of course. Um, you know, <laughs> this is great. It's important. It's very yeah. important. <laughs> it is. What other regulations are there in regards to markets, do you think? Uh, is there anything that comes to mind that we should be thinking of? I mean, there's like little little rules that you sort of need to know socially, like um, – you have to, just like in any store, you need to be saying hello to your vendor. I mean, that's not a, you know, rule or regulation, but it's sort of a soft rule. Uh, if you want when to- we say, When we mean hello, we mean bonjour, just to make sure right. that everybody knows. Please We're say saying, bonjour. Actually, actually, when you come to France, just, just learn two words. Oh, three. Or oh, they're actually not three because, oh, no, yeah, three words. Bonjour, merci, and s'il vous plaît. Exact, exact. You're totally Hello, right. thank you, please. That's thank right. You yes. You mm-hmm. better you better walk into any place that you're going into and say bonjour. Like that is that's a given anywhere. And that's that goes to, to that's goes without saying in the market as well. So you need to make sure to catch the vendor's eye and you are not to touch the produce. Like do not reach out. Um, unless you're kind of given the go ahead and they sort of indicate to you that you can touch things. A lot of vendors want to um to uh 
to help to, to pick out what you want. And they also want to ask you like, is this for cooking something right now? Or are you going to cook this in a few days? They will select a better um, piece of produce for you. And, um, and, and we saw just the other day, a woman yelling at another woman for touching her grapes. She's like, no, 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 no. Well, this is my job. It's her job. To, so I understand. I'd yell at somebody if they were touching my grapes in public too. I can tell you. <laughs> I mean, honestly. It's outrageous. Don't be rude. But, you know. Like, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, be careful with people's grapes. And I would say, make, and it's so small, but make sure most people are taking credit cards these days, but you need to have cash on hand just in case. It's still that way in France most of the time. So you need to have cash. So I don't know if there's any other like rules um, that they have that are, that are as, you know, as, as they come from sort of legislation that says that you need to be displaying place of origin. But, you know, there are, there are just a few things you have to know before you enter a market just to make sure that you're being as polite as you can be. What's your favorite market in Paris? I mean, I have to say it's our local place that comes on Sundays and Thursdays uh, because of the fact that, um, you know, I, one of the things that we, we try to do on my Instagram account on Fed by Frenchman is what we call market days. And our, our, our goal is to take 20 euros and go to the end of the market and see what kind of deals we can score, you know, because the end of the market, again, is the time when people are getting rid of their produce. There, a lot of it's the ugly fruit that they didn't sell for the day or that's about, it's so ripe that they can't pack it back up. They they may have to throw it away. So um, because we, because we're egged on by Instagram and whatever, because we also need food and we're freelancers. So 20, 20 euros is precious to us. Um, We, we've gotten, we, 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 before the pandemics, especially it's, it's gotten a little bit better, but we've been good about going up and, and getting to know our vendors because um, that's another sort of delightful thing that I've learned in France is getting, I, I maybe, in, maybe it's just my personality, but maybe it w- maybe it was just New York, but, um, it's, it w- it's been lovely to go by and, um, say hello to these vendors who have, who know our faces now, who know that we're going to film them for Instagram and that we're going to put them on online. But, um, it's, uh, it's small and it's personal. We care, we do care. We're following some of these folks on Instagram. We really do genuinely care about them. And, um, and they're part of the neighborhood. They're part of our, our, our quartier that, that helps, you know, that, that they're, it's, it's part of the deal. It's part of the, it's part of living here. And so that's, um, I, you know, I certainly love, um, some of the bigger places in Paris that are sexy, like, um, the Aligre market. That's like a daily market down. Um, that's not too far from us, uh, near Bastille, Bastille, um, is great fun. You can get everything there. Like there's no surprises with markets like that. You're going to find what you want at our market. It's a little bit more of a crapshoot, but I do, I do love, um, I do, I love being there and I love frequenting these people and, and making sure that their businesses are, are doing okay. So, um, it's the local stuff that I love. I do like the big sexy ones, but there's something special about a local place where people know who you are and, and they're going to throw in, not because they do this, but you know, they might throw in that extra pomegranate or they may throw in an extra little piece of cheese or just something to say thank you. And, and that keeps us coming back. And this is like the human element that, that I really like about our, our neighborhood place. Autumn is a really lovely time to be in Europe. Um, not just France, but to be in Europe. Uh, where is your favorite place to go in France? In oh. oh my gosh, there's so many places that I love. This is such a um, it's such a diverse country. 
Um, uh, there's so many options. You know, I was telling you earlier, we're, we're sort of, um, we're into Burgundy right now. So we're sort of exploring Burgundy. We we're, 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 we have this dream of having a little, you know, country home there. So we sort of have been doing a little bit of Burgundy. It's a great time to be there considering it's, you know, grape harvest time. The weather's so beautiful. The countryside's so gorgeous. But um, Pierre grew up in the Alps. And, um, and I, that's also where we got married. So, um, autumn is so beautiful down there. You know, it's, it's a little bit crispier and chillier down there than it is here in Paris. But, um, I talk, I feel like I don't know enough people that go to the Alps. I don't know why. I don't know why we, we, we kind of forget about the Alps. We always think of Provence and the countryside and Normandy and that kind of stuff, but the Alps are just absolutely stunning. And, um, we haven't been there in a while. We, we, we need to get down soon to visit family, but I, I definitely, um, the food, oh my God, the cheese in the Alps is probably some of the best in the country. Um, and it's just, it's just scenery wise is, is, is fantastic. Really, really good restaurants, like cozy spots. It's just, just delightful. So I, I love the Alps and I like, and I like Burgundy too. Well, we just had Therese Kaufman on the podcast and she is actually, I met Therese in uh, Chamonix and uh, she talk, we talk about the Tata Palette and um, you should, uh, I definitely have to give you her details. You should Please. go there and check her out. She does amazing photographic tours in Chamonix. So you should check that out. Noted. Last question is, I forgot the chestnuts are in abundance uh, in autumn and we sort of mentioned this before, but I've got my last question to you is have you ever eaten a chestnut from the people that are selling them on the corner you know you've got those shopping trolleys with the fire in the shopping trolleys which for me as an Australian is an occupational health and safety <laughs> issue um, I always find that I'm walking at least 10 feet away from the people because like I absolutely fear tripping over my shoelace and going arm for head first into the shopping trolley that's got the fire in it that they're making they're roasting chestnuts but have you ever eaten from somebody making um, roasting chestnuts in the street like what's their I've never actually had a chestnut I, I had, I have done that. And I think I did it in London, actually, to be honest. I have not. Now, I do love this situation. I love that smell. I love that it feels like autumn to me. I'm embrace the danger of the fire, open fire on the street, completely fine with me. I, I think it's just uh, completely delightful. So I'm super, I'm supportive of that. I've had it one time. It's just sort of, if I recall, it was just sort of, there's like a, a surprising creaminess to it. I mean, uh, excuse me for saying it tastes nutty, but <laughs> it just kind of has this warm, nutty, uh, creamy. Um, I, I don't even know how to describe it other than just nutty. That's so lame. But uh, yeah, I've done it. I've only done it once. I, I, it makes this inspires me to want to do it a little bit more to kind of try it again instead of just embracing the smell. Like, why not buy it from those guys every once in a while? But yeah, I, I don't, I'm like, I don't. I only did it one time, and I think it was like around Christmas time, and we were feeling, you know, like thinking of that the song with the chestnuts roasting over an open fire, and it just was like, oh, let's do this. So it doesn't feel like something that we do. It feels like it feels like a very special treat, not something that I would do on a regular basis. Tasted chestnutty. It tasted oh, like a chestnut. At least you didn't say it tasted like chicken. <laughs> 
Amy Fieser, thank you so much for joining us on Fabulously Delicious. You have taught us a lot about the autumn markets and it's been a pleasure getting to know you. So thank you so much. How do people find you again? You can uh, you can follow us on Fed by a Frenchman on Instagram. And hopefully I can get Pierre on the podcast one yeah, day. Yeah, fingers uh, crossed. We can talk about French things from the uh, Frenchman point of view. I promise I won't try and steal your husband. From, well, he's from very there. cute. I've, I've got my own. He's I've very got my cute. Own. Yeah, you can just you know keep you can look at him for an hour. It's not so bad. <laughs> oh well, that's all right. Well, you can look at mine too. I'll let you look at mine for an hour while I look at yours. That for an sounds hour. like a fair trade. There I'm down go. for that. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, great. All right, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us on Fabulous. Thanks Lexus. for having me. Amy was an absolute delight to chat to and, most importantly, fun and informative. I love that someone can be inspired by things like a French market and become somewhat of an expert on them from the sheer passion for them. Oh, and the French husband informing her of traditions and facts, well, that helps as well. Amy, I hope to see you in person in the future sometime soon. Don't forget, if you like this episode, then please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Share the podcast around with your friends and family. We love to be shared around. Well, the podcast loves to be shared around. These, well, you know. Anyway, it's an old joke, but a goodie. If you'd like to support the Making It Fabulously Delicious, you can do so by buying me a croissant via the Buy Buy Me A Coffee website, or you could become a Patreon member if you'd like to support on a continual monthly basis. Any help is appreciated so that I can bring more fabulous people to Fabulously Delicious. Oh, and if you're planning on coming to France... In the not-too-distant future, now the borders are all opening up, you can book a one-hour Zoom call with me so that I can help you plan a fabulous trip. You can do that via the Buy Me A Coffee link in the show notes for this episode or by checking out my website, andrewpryorfabulously.com. In 2022, you will hopefully be able to come and join me here in person in Montmorillon for some fabulous cooking classes as well as small group tours of France. So stay tuned for more information on that. I'm Andrew Pryor. My motto in life is, whatever you do, do it fabulously. So why not join me every week here on Fabulously Delicious, the podcast. Abiento and bon app. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.